Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 360, Talk Me Out of Buying Marvel Zombies. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode with zombies. Uh, or whatever they do. Meatballs. I, I I almost didn't get through that opening because just saying Marvel zombies seems like the I most know. ridiculous thing in the world. <laughs> I feel like we've been saying Simon jumped the shark for like five years. So, I mean, they're just jumping back and forth now, I guess. They're like, we don't care. There's all the money. <laughs> you know, one of the funny things, and I, I want to talk about this ever so briefly the Dice Tower podcast is shutting down, or maybe by the time this recording has shut down, but they're on the last couple of episodes. And they, and they said to all the other podcasters out there, which we are one of them, we are part of the podcast network, which used to be like a real major thing for the industry. And Tom had said, you know, don't do anything crazy. Don't do anything stupid before we went on stage for our first right. big Dice Tower presentation. And we were like, oh, yeah, of course not. We wouldn't do anything crazy or, you know. And I did have something a little a little bit in mind, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything destructive or something like that. But, you know, it's so funny now that, like, you know, we've been doing the podcast for, like, nine, ten years now at this point. It is that kind of crazy wackiness that Simon is just like, sure. You <laughs> <Yeah>. know, like, <laughs> he, here is a super minor level property that is in the Marvel Universe. I've read it, and I've seen the recent What If comic, and they're like, you know what? Let's build a whole campaign behind it. It's going to cost millions of dollars, and we're going to make millions of dollars, and then anyone else will be like, no, 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 no. no. Stick <laughs> straight down the line. Do what Tom said. Just be straight and you know to the point and stuff like that, and like they're making all the monies, and again, this is another one, like you said, Anthony, a long chain of craziness that's come out. So Marvel Zombies, a zombicide game, is out on Kickstarter. And currently, as we record Tuesday when this came out, they're at $3 million, or at least over $3 million. Because as I'm watching it, it's spinning up even right. more. <laughs> so there is a whole bunch of stuff to talk about this. And even if you are not a zombicide fan, which I'm not really a zombicide fan, there is something to, to just marvel, no pun intended, ah, about ah. this campaign. I know, right? It's a new thing, see? Yeah, uh, funny. There's we do thing funny things. I know. We do crazy, crazy, wacky things like podcasts. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you could see us on YouTube, you would understand right now what we're talking mm -hmm. about because we're on YouTube, which is also a crazy, funny thing for a bunch of people that label themselves as anonymous. So... <laughs> Yeah. It's true, yeah. See? It's very meta. It's meta before it was meta for other people out there. So we will be talking about the Marvel Zombies of Zombicide campaign from CMON in our feature review. And Anthony and I are going to attempt to do our best to talk ourselves out of backing it. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, this is the game of all games right now. And all the monies and all the things, including something incredibly large, which we will talk about later, which will blow your mind. 
<laughs> so yeah hopefully we get through this episode without backing it but you'll you'll be with us on our journey as i watch this thing kind of explode and expand throughout the episode with that being said anthony again so much to talk about for this episode we are so glad to be back with everyone out there listening and again talking about the things that we love to talk about board games so anthony what's our question of the week all right question of the week this week I asked everybody, what is the single most frustrating board game you have ever played? Either in general, so just that particular game is frustrating, or a very specific play of that game that made you angry. <laughs> Lots of good responses. We all have this game. Multiple games for some of us. Uh, Tommy says, <laughs> nothing personal. A uh, primary component of the game involves non-binding negotiation. I do poorly and tend to get upset during these types of games, so I do not play them. Yeah, those are rough. Non-binding negotiation, like you just you end up wanting to punch your friend. It's no good. <laughs> Tim, friend of the show, says for complexity, an 18 double X introductory game at a convention with a volunteer who is not a great teacher. And then for too much, take that a game of Emotep with a group of friends who decided to gang up on me while I was in a sleep deprived state. <laughs> yeah. Any game where yeah. people decided to gang up on you, that never goes well. <laughs> so nope. Barack says... Quacks of Quedlinburg. Uh, if I take risks, it never works for me, as I am the most unlucky board gamer I know. And if I don't take risks, then what is the point? True, true. If you're not going to take risks, why play Quedlinburg? Roman says Rising Sun. He he calls it overlong, overwrought. The teacher said all deals were non-binding and people just abused it and betrayed Ooh. all the time. So not interesting. Uh, Jeffrey mentions Munchkin and Flux, which... Yeah, I think a lot of us can go with Munchkin and Flux on this one. Uh, sure. Drew mentions Feudum. I don't really need to explain why. It just needs a bit more fine-tuning, even though it's a decent but quite frustrating game that takes an entire day. <laughs> um, Jesse mentions one of mine, In the Year of the Dragon, uh, almost comically punishing. And I didn't go into it like I would Galaxy Trucker, expecting to have my spaceship destroyed and laughing along with it. So it was frustrating. So for some of us, Galaxy Trucker, even though you know you're going to get destroyed, it's still a terrible experience. <laughs> and then over on Instagram, we had a couple of responses here as well. Uh, Jeff says, not a fan of Euros, especially playing with any Euro that has an alpha gamer. Uh, also playing Disney Villainous with my group resulted in us coining the term multiplayer solitaire and thus banning any game with that mechanic from the table. And AC Holt says, I loathe Millsborn because of the take that aspect. Refuse to play it. Uh, and then Kingsburg as well, they mentioned um, fun in its own right, but I find the most frustrating because I do not play well with the randomness that is rolled. So some people can't handle the randomness. I respect that. I'm, I'm with you. Sure. Um, <laughs> my, my, bat, my worst experience in a game, and you were there for this, um, you might even be able to guess what it is, was Zaya, the. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> sandbox space game that where I just kept flying into the sun and I get stuck and it's been three turns just trying to get unstuck. And then I was like, forget it, fly me into the sun. And the thing lasted three or four hours. Um, it was poorly taught. We didn't really know the rules. I now know that you don't have to fly into the sun to get unstuck, but it wasn't fun. I really don't enjoy that game. I played it again later. <laughs> didn't hate it quite as much. And then I'm like, Oh, I just dislike it. And that was a terrible play of a game. I already dislike. So sure. Never again. So any game that people are like, that's oh, kind of like Zaya. I'm like, I'm out. There's no chance. I'm not doing it. 
Yeah, there, there's so many games. I guess a lot of games that people talked about, you know, those kind of challenging situations that you find yourself in, they come from a lot of different areas. So, like, for example, endless amounts of arithmetic. Now, I don't get involved in the 18 double X games, so I kind of save myself from that kind of situation. But, like, big shoulders, like that game with the amount of, like, mm. times that you have to calculate percentages and things like that. And I'm just like, I'm just tired. I just want to play the game. I don't want to have to do all the kind of math around the clock. I think that game was always a little tiring. One of the games I do love, uh, Food Chain Magnet, you know, is, is a great game. But it really is incredibly frustrating throughout when you build up your, you know, your restaurant and just someone beats you out by a dollar or a block or something like that. And again, it's a lot of calculations trying to make sure that you could sell what you need to sell or if someone throws something in the market, you're just like, well, and there goes my game. And again, <laughs> that's another three, four hour game at least. So I, I think it's those games that have the endless numbers of you know calculations that kind of bogs those games down for me across the board. Anything that runs extremely long for no particular reason, I think is one of those kind of games or any of those games that there's just like a runaway winner like halfway through and you still have to play the whole game out. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of challenges out there with board games at the very least. And it's, it's again, it's one of those situations where you still couldn't even love a board game, but you are frustrated as all get up. I think, you know, there's so many games where like follow, follow the other player mechanic, like, Oh, I did a thing. Does anyone else want to do that thing? And they're like, I wasn't thinking about doing that. Well, now let me think about that. <laughs> You're just like, no, you need and to I, pay attention. <laughs> you have to assume that you could always do a thing. So yeah, there, there's a lot of those things, but uh, no, that's a really great question. A lot of great answers there. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all of them. So a lot of fun stuff. All right. So that's our question week. Again, if you want to follow us, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, of course, YouTube, we're on there right now. If you're on YouTube, you know, subscribe so that you can see our wonderful cheery faces as we face the frustrating moments in board gaming. With that said, Anthony, let's talk about the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All right. So I have a Kickstarter that is not Marvel or Zombies. So I guess How no one's paying attention that? to it. I there's know. Other, there's no other games. There's only... You know what? There, there are, though. There are. This is, a, oh. this is an interesting one that I'm interested in. Well, I'm um, going to listen and see if this is actually not Marvel or zombie related, because I think everything these days tends to be Marvel or zombie related. <laughs> go ahead. Go much. ahead. Go That's ahead with media. your little thing. That's right. Yep. Yep. My little thing. Uh, so this is Collab. It is on Kickstarter right now. It's up for another uh -huh. 20 days. They, they just put it up a couple days ago. So you have lots and lots and lots of time to check it out. Uh, and it is put up by Portal Dragon, which I've played, I think, only one of their games before, um, but it was Palm Island, which is one of my favorite, like, single deck, quick, easy solo games, and uh, I have a copywriter somewhere in, like, the waterproof container it comes in. So uh, the designer of that, uh, John Meatling and Jonathan Gilmore, you may know as the co-designer of Dead of Winter and Dinosaur Island, he they came together and they made collab. So this game is, they describe it as, because there's a lot of things going on here, um, dice collection, worker placement, tableau building. So kind of everybody's favorite rundown of mechanics to describe a game. Uh, but I, I think it is a good description of the game. So we'll, we'll start there. 
you have minions that you're going to send out and they're going to carry dice with them um, that you'll be able to kind of upgrade and adapt over time. And then based on where they go and how you pair them up, you're going to take certain actions. So the actions will gain new cards, potion tokens, or refresh your exhausted dice you've already used. You have to keep a certain number of minions out on the board at any time, um, but you'll also be able to call them back. You also have a scientist who you will send to a laboratory space, and they're going to collect or build. So you can collect things like dice cards or resource tokens. So you can get more dice for your minions, get cards for your tableau, get resource tokens to do other stuff later. And you'll also be able to make upgrades that trigger all sorts of different abilities and stuff down the road. Uh, When you build cards, they go into your tableau. So you're going to use all those resources you've been collecting. You add the cards to your tableau, and then additional abilities are going to come in, different things you can do, different things are going to trigger, which is one of our favorite mechanics in the world. Uh, And the game kind of goes Race for the Galaxy style. Once somebody builds their 12th card in their tableau, the game Mm -hmm. end is triggered, and everybody gets one more chance, and we see who comes away with the most points. So it's not a race necessarily, but it has that built-in endpoint um, that's variable depending on how quickly people want to push it. It has a solo game, which I'm actually very excited about because, again, Palm Island is a great, great solo game. Uh, Jonathan Gilmore, all the games he's worked on, um, except for Dead of Winter, <laughs> have good solo modes. And it's like a clever-looking theme, right? It's you know, it's mad scientists and minions running around, but the artwork's very interesting. Um, they just these cool looking miniatures. The minions have like little holes in their head where you put the dice for them to carry them around. And, you know, that's all deluxe edition stuff. If you get the retail edition, it's all cardboard standees and the minions are cardboard minions to carry your dice, um, which I imagine are probably going to get beat up after a little while. But let's be honest, if you're listening to this and if I'm thinking of this, I'm going to back for the deluxe edition, which is only 60 bucks. It's not crazy expensive uh, for this type of thing. Um, yeah, so there's that. There's Palm Laboratory with a kind of a retheme of Palm Island using the laboratory artwork that they have here, which is very cool. I might back just for that, to be honest. Um, you can go all in and get all the extra stuff, which will give you the deluxe edition, plus a mat, plus a little cat Cthulhu, Cthulhu doll. Um, what do they call that? HP Lovekin's plushie. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's from a past Kickstarter. I think I've seen that one before, but sure. um, yeah, it's, it's a cool looking game. It's got a lot of very familiar mechanics, but I like the way they've combined them. I like the artwork a lot and the pedigree of the designers. So worth checking out uh, on Kickstarter now for a whole bunch more time. Um, and if you're not, if you're not all in on zombies or Marvel, this is a uh, one maybe you want to check out collab. As you mentioned, this did not escape, Anthony, the Marvel nor zombie kind of plague here, right? Because you mentioned <laughs> no. Dead of Winter. Jonathan, you know, was the co-designer oh, no! for Dead of Winter. <laughs> you got me. Oh, baby. I got you. <laughs> Dang it. See? Didn't even know and checked it up. And, yeah, it's got zombie. I mean, it's his biggest game of all time. So, True. yeah. True. Yeah. All right, well, let me let me attempt as Anthony searches out my acquisition disorder. This was actually a game that I had seen online, and it was a recent release that I was thinking about picking up, and really what drew me to it was its black and white cover. Uh, this game is Glow. 
It came out um, 2021, and it's about build your company by recruiting new traveling companions and combine their power. Now, a very, very generic kind of like description of this game, but the game itself is quite interesting. Now, in particular, the thing that drew my attention, to be honest, wasn't the gameplay so much as it was the actual art on the cards and the box and everything else. It was a very beautiful, distinct game kind of setting where you have this kind of like, and it's very hard to explain. It's it's a combination of, uh, I, I don't even know how to place it, almost like fairy tale characters as, and then like H.P. Lovecraft inspired darkness. So you do get these kind of cutesy animal leaders, companion things, and then there's twisted um, kind of artwork that goes along with it. So some of the creatures are quite mis- you know, majestic and beautiful, um, also in a very dark kind of way, very much like, you know, like an Adams family kind of thing. And then some of them are just like HP Lovecraft, just kind of through and through. So the, you know, the board itself is a black and white, very stark, beautiful artwork for the board. There's obviously colored symbols on the board because basically what you're doing in this game is you'll be rolling in these different elemental dice and the different guy dice give you different symbols to allow you to move your encampment and to collect the most amount of glow possible to overcome the darkness. The board has two sides. There's two different ways to play the game, not radically different. One is boat sailing to, to these different islands, and one is like these journeyers and setting up encampments. Basically, the game comes down to, at the start, you pick a star character. You'll get a, a number of dice that goes along with that character. And then most characters have a special ability that's triggered based upon your dice rolls. And again, the dice are all these different elemental characters. So you have your starting character, you choose a companion um, on the bottom kind of market row to go along with you. There are dice that are randomly kind of assigned to those different characters. You put them in your tableau and then you roll your dice and based upon your, your dice roll, you'll be able to move your character and also score victory points. There's also other different things that you need. You need like footprints to travel to certain areas. You need fireflies to help your your companions throughout the way. And again, it's a victory point game. It's a Euro game. And by the end of the game, you have a really extensive, you know, number of companions that really have this very intricate, innovative, just, I, I just love the design. I mean, it's one of those games that it's really challenging, very interesting. This game is currently on Board Game Arena, which I actually got a chance to play it. Oh. I like it. Oh. It is light. Uh, if I didn't play it, I would have bought it right away without thought. I played it. I, I kind of like it. Again, it's it's another one of those games, and we there's so many of these games where it's like collect cards. They have special abilities. You roll the dice. You get the special abilities, or you get the penalties, and you get points, and you do a thing. So nothing is revolutionary about the mechanics in this game. But the artwork, I feel, is so unique, so different. The dice, the production, everything here is quite catching. And I think it's something that you should take a look at. And that is, um, you know, again, a game that you probably would never take a look at, but you should. Because, again, it's just so radically different than anything else art-wise that I've seen. It's uh, it's called Glow. That's cool. I didn't I didn't know this yeah. existed. Uh, I'm going to have to check it out because it's the designer of Lewis and Clark and yes. uh, Discoveries. 
which honestly, the way you describe the mechanics sounds a little bit like discoveries. Uh, yeah. Not Lewis and Clark so much, but like the dice mechanisms and like moving through that kind of self-built. Exactly. So I will check this out. Yeah, it's definitely something. I mean, I think it's so striking that everyone should check it out just for that alone, because I think it's something different and unique. And I think art style wise for a board game, I think we need more of that. I think it's we get the same thing a lot of times. All right. So those are all the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about the games that did hit the table. And we let you know if those games are a buy and they should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play, you should sit down and play them. If those games are dodge and you should avoid them, or in fact, those games are the dreaded burn and burn because, you know, zombies, right? Because, you know, that'll keep them away or something. Zombies? All right. What do you got for this week? All right. Uh, I'm trying to think. I can't think of any zombies in this game, but you might be able to figure it out. Um, <laughs> uh, so I played Rolling Realms. This is the uh-huh. roll and write game from Jamie Stegmeyer and Stonemeyer Games. Uh, released later, late in the fall last year. And it's an interesting game for a few reasons. Like the pedigree here, of course, is unimpeachable. It's Jamie Stegmeier. He's made some of the biggest games of all time. And he decided to make a game about the biggest games of all time that he has made. So <laughs> it's, a, it's very Whoa. meta. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I guess you could say Marvel Zombies is a little meta, maybe. Um, so... The idea here is that you are rolling your way through nine realms, and the realms all represent games that Stonemeyer has released. So there are different, and each of these realms is a card that you're going to get. So there's one for Tapestry, Between Two Cities, Euphoria, Scythe, Wingspan, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you're going to go through, like I said, nine of them throughout the course of the game, and each of them has its own unique scoring mechanism. So. Mm-hmm you're going to have those three cards for the course, I think three rounds each. And then you're going to try to get as many stars from each of the cards as you can in those three rounds before you move on to the next set of cards. Uh, And that's pretty much it, right? It's very, very similar to a lot of the roll and write games that you may have played. Um, You roll dice, you mark some stuff down, you get to the end, you see who scored the most (laughs) points. The reason that this one is so interesting is the idea of the unique scoring mechanisms. It's not because they necessarily relate to those Stonemeyer games. Although if you're a huge Stonemeyer fan, this game, you're going to geek out over it because it's just, it's fun. It's clever. It's unique. The way that the mechanics of each of these cards has been like mapped to the, the different games, right? So like tapestry, you have like a little polyomino puzzle based on the dice you roll, which is <laughs> you'd like draw it in on the map um, between two cities. You have, uh, like the, this grid, you have to place things down and the numbers can't overlap necessarily. Euphoria, you have uh, different dice numbers that you're trying to match up and get pairs of. Between two castles, you're building up these vertical columns. Um, so they're all different like that, right? And they they relate back to the core mechanics of the game that they're based on. And there's a bunch of them because there's one for every game that Stonemaier's released. The game is relatively quick as any good roll and write should be. Uh, it's not too fast, but it's not like pushing up that upper limit. Uh, some of these newer roll and write games, they're getting more creative. They're getting more interesting. But they take too long, right? <laughs> so um, Roman Roll, for example, was like a, almost an hour long. Uh, Fleet the Dice game is, I guess, the exception that proves the rule because I love that game, but it's a little too long. It's like 45 minutes to an hour. This is 20 to 30 minutes. And like any good roll and write, it plays pretty well solo. Um and 
I can't say that any of these like scoring mechanisms really like none of them are bad, right? There's no like you're not going to pull one card and be like, ugh, I don't like this one. They're all clever. They're all unique. And it's random which ones you're going to pull together. And that's kind of the trick of the game is you're going to have the three cards at any point in time. And you have to figure out where you're going to allocate allocate your dice based on which three come out. Now, the reason that this game jumps, I think, from a play for me, as most uh, roll and writes are these days, they're solid plays if they're good. And I'll, you know, I'll definitely bring them out if situation calls for it. But the reason it jumps up to a buy is that Stonemeyer has rightfully gone out and started making deals with other companies to make additional realms, not just based on Stonemeyer games. So um, I made fun of this game when it first came in for, you know, it's it's kind of silly. It's like a vanity project. Jamie said over and over again, this was like his COVID project early on. And he was, you know, it was free print and play. They got up to like version four or five. And at a certain point, he's like, actually, I am going to print this, even though I said repeatedly I was never going to do it, right? Which is great, because the game is good. But what elevates it, what makes it more interesting, is now we have other games coming in. So Terra Mystica had a a promo pack that was released that I picked up, which is a lot of fun. Um, The next promo pack is actually for another Stonemaier game. It's Rolling Realms in Rolling Realms. So it's a little too meta, Um, but, you know... What's what's the fun if you're not going to do that, right? And so there'll probably be a new promo pack for every game they release. But also my hope is they go out and get more of these other partnerships. You know, and like the worst term in the world right now is metaverse. I don't want to hear it. Uh, please don't say metaverse or NFT to me. But I like the idea of having like a Fortnite style roll and write game where it just like has all these different types of games that come in with their own unique mechanics and the promo packs and you pick the ones you like and then you kind of construct your own game with this and you're like okay well my here's my top 10 games of all time and now this is the roll and write game that i'm gonna play with my top 10 games Um, sure that's really cool i don't know that we'll get there i don't know what his plans are with this but um the idea is there and i think it's very cool so if you dig stonemeyer games if you like the idea of bringing in other stuff, if you don't mind the meta nature of it, it's a really solid roll and write and worth checking out. So I, I would give it a buy tentatively based on all of those things. Wow. Um, you don't like roll and writes. So Chris, you're out. If you don't like <laughs> hyper meta stuff like this, if you find it a little schlocky, which I understand if you do, um, or if you just want to wait and see what other IPs they bring in, which <clears throat> honestly at this point you might want to do is just see what comes in. Then uh, rolling mm-hmm. realms, it's still worth a play. I think it's very good. Okay. No, I, I, I love the whole meta verse kind of thing here that they're trying to do. But again, I, I find, you know, and I know I'm the only one on this. So, so don't get me wrong. I just, I find the, the roll and rights. And again, no pun intended. So disposable. I just, I just find it <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, I played a lot of them and I, I, I don't necessarily think that they're a bad game, but I find it, it's also one of those weird things where like on one hand we are building up and paying so much money for like upgraded components. And then like, here's another game that it's like no board, basically no components, maybe some dice and something. And like, you just scribble on a board and at the end you have this like, you know, mess of a little pad and you did a thing. I just never feel like I do a thing when I'm playing that. I feel like I'm playing a like discount version of a board game. Like this could have, this could have had a board, right? Like 
it's one of those things like, why am I not playing with the board? Why am I not playing with pieces? Oh, because it's a roll and write. Like, it doesn't have to be a roll and write. Why is this a roll and write? <laughs> Just like, it didn't need to be I, a roll and write. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think in this case, it does have to be a roll and write. The way the design is All done, right. I think it kind of has to. Does it need to be a full $20 box thing? We know no, because he made a, yeah. a free print and play version of this before they printed it. But I will say it's relatively inexpensive. So that first print okay. run, Stonemeyer printed like tens of thousands of copies. So it's only 20 bucks. Um, and you can get it for 15 online on discount. Yeah, I don't I don't begrudge him the money for this. I just I, I just think that they <laughs> I just think roller rights in general are just weird things. Like mm. I don't it just it doesn't feel like playing a board game for me on some level. It just I mean I could it's like you know, I've I've done all those like roll dice things and mark it on a on a you know a pad and roll dice and mark it on a pad. I'm like, I don't know, just it just it just doesn't feel like a board game for me for some way, some reason. But uh, let me talk about a board game, mm. uh, and and a board game itself that is all the kind of pieces you could ever want in a box. This is Seven Wonders Architects. We talked about this recently um, in our awards conversation. And this is all about a, I don't necessarily like the term, you know, family weight board game because every family differs between, you know, how many ages that you might have in your family, the, the complexity that they're comfortable with playing, how much of a gamer gamer that they happen to be. So this is a less complex, lighter um more um visually how would you say it like um tactile like there's big pieces that you're kind of playing with and i know that's much much better for kids instead of like small little pieces that are you know harder to manipulate and there's less choices in the game so when you play seven wonders you get a hand of cards typically seven cards to start with and then throughout the game that hand of cards that gets passed around to you gets smaller and smaller. And the object is to pick the appropriate cards to build up your particular civilization based upon your particular wonder. Now, the wonder usually gives you a resource or special abilities, and you can build up your wonder, but it's not required to win the game. There's also military, there's you know civic cards, there's science. And there's just a number of ways to kind of score points in Seven Wonders. And it goes through diff three different ages, and every age gets a little more advanced. So by the end, you are building very powerful cards for a lot of points, a lot of money. And it's a very dynamic game. It's been around forever. You know what Seven Wonders are. Why am I explaining this to you? Well, I guess I'm explaining this to you because Anton Bowser, you know, came out with this. And this is a repost production. And they wanted to make something that the family could play at the table. Now, I've played Seven Wonders with my family at the table. It's not that complex of a game, but it certainly is overwhelming the first time you play it because someone throws you a hand of cards and, like, do a thing. I'm like, I don't know what to pick. Just do a thing and you'll get another hand of cards and stuff like that. So even a seasoned gamer, when they're first playing Seven Wonders for the first time, is going to be a little overwhelmed. Seven Wonders Architects has that same kind of concept and idea, which is, you get a wonder, and as the game goes on, you will collect cards, basic resources, gold, military, science, civic, and that will score you points. Also, the military will challenge your neighbors and things like that. But the difference here is it's very straightforward. 
It's very basic. It's very streamlined. So instead of a hand of cards, you get a choice of two opened available uh, decks of cards plus a deck in the middle that has a face-down deck of cards that you can also choose from. So if you don't like the things to your left, if you don't like the things to your right, you can choose the random one right in the middle. So that's that cuts down the number of choices you have to make. And also on top of which, there's no kind of like technology and civilization upgrades throughout the game. This is the game. You will play this until somebody completes their wonder, and then the game will come to an automatic end. You'll score points, you'll see who's in the lead, and there's a victory condition for it. So just like Seven Wonders, the blue cards score you points, but there are special blue cards with a little cat symbol. The little cat symbol will be able to let you peek at the top random you know, face-down deck, so your choices become a lot easier throughout the game. You still have your basic resources throughout the game, but they've combined it with the manufactured resources. So those are two in one. So instead of brown and gray, you just have this kind of like beige kind of resource. Military is still military. The difference here with the military is there's no three ages of military battles. There is accumulating military shields throughout the game. And then some of those military cards will have horns, either one or two horns on that. Based on the number of players, there are these peace tokens. As you pick up the military with the horns, those peace tokens flip over to military tokens. And then once they're all flipped to the military side, a war takes place amongst all the players on the board. You count up all the shields that you have. Whoever has the most scores victory points for that. So around the table, everyone can score victory points based upon their neighbors to the left and the right, based upon who has the most military. Once that military phase is over, if you had any of those shield cards that had the horns on it that caused the war, those go away. And you're just left with the regular, plain, straightforward military cards. And each military card is only one shield. So it's not like Seven Wonders where they escalate to like three shields and you kind of get left behind. So again, beyond that, there's one other thing, which is always a kind of a staple for Seven Wonders, which is science. Now, instead of building up these grand tableaus of, of point scoring, basically you match two science symbols and you get to take a science token. Those science tokens, a choice of three or a random, uh, is going to give you uh, special abilities throughout the game or going to score you victory points based upon what the token says itself. If you get three different symbols, you also get to take a token. But basically throughout the game, it kind of runs on rails. So whatever you're able to pick up, automatically does a thing so you don't really have to make much decisions other than which of the three you know piles of cards you're pulling from because once you pull the right resources the the different parts of your wonder and the wonder is built up it's rather big i I would say it's probably about four inches by four inches depending on which wonder that you have as you build it up depending on your wonder you will get a special ability which primarily is taking more resources on the board, typically a card to your left and right or a card somewhere on the table. I, I think the Giza pyramids don't give you any special ability, but they just score you points. And again, it's very Seven Wonders-ish. If you play Seven Wonders, you will know everything that's here in the game. Again, very, very streamlined decision-making process. One of the three decks that you get to choose from. And then again, the science, the military, everything comes into play. Very quick game. I I would say that you can play this game easily and simply 
in about 15 minutes. It's currently up on Board Game Arena and Beta. I played about a dozen or so games on there just by itself. I have the actual physical copy of the game, and the physical copy is pretty impressive, especially since this game is made for, you know, again, a light to medium weight kind of family or friends or new gamer kind of situation because the one thing that designers tend to miss, you know, out on is the idea if you're going to make a game that's friendly to the general public, then you have to make the components and the box and the play also generally general public kind of friendly. This does this. Each of the different civilizations, and you get to pick one to play with, comes with everything you need in a very nice little tiny case with the rules for that civilization printed on that little case, and then inside your own deck of cards. So when you set the game up, the illustration on the sticker is going to tell you exactly how to set everything up. It's going to tell you exactly what to do with your cards. And then this game sets up in, in probably about five minutes. And then, like I said, the game plays in like 15 minutes and it's done. So it's Seven Wonders, but a streamlined version of Seven Wonders. The question is, is this worth buying? I bought it because I love Seven Wonders. And I've, I certainly want a game that I can play with more people at the table. It scratches an itch more or less because when you play Seven Wonders, the full game, it does take a lot of setup and breakdown time because you do have a lot of cards to play. This does not. This is very quick, very simple to set up and to break down, and you can play with a lot of people. That being said, the most interesting thing about board games for me is making interesting decisions. Since this is so slimmed down to the point where everyone tends to choose from the middle pile because it gets stuck with a bad card and it's left and it's right, that the middle pile, the, the unknown cards, tend to go before anything else goes. And you're kind of stuck on rails. If the card to your left is a science card, and that makes more sense than taking the military card, you take the science card. Or if that's a resource you can eat, you just take it. Again, you only have two or three choices. And sometimes, because all the decks are identical, you might see the same card on both sides. So you really don't have a very good choice. So uh, Seven Wonders Architects gets a play from me. I did purchase it. I'm not mad about it because it's a very good production. It will get table time, but it is one of those games where it might be a little too simple, but then again, at the same time, if you can get game time, if you can get table time with this, it's definitely worth the buy. The production uh, does meet the cost of the game. And again, if you've never played Seven Wonders before, if you felt it was a little too complicated, this might be the perfect version for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh so I was going to ask about decision-making because that's the one thing I've heard about this over and over again is that it, it it's beautiful, it's accessible, mm -hmm. it removes decision-making from the game. And that's like the one thing that makes Seven Wonders such a good game is you get a handful sure. of cards and you have to decide which one to take. And you might have four great options or no good yeah. options. And it's always like that, yeah. ah, which card do I take? And they you remove that from the game and you're like, well, does it work? Is it still Seven Wonders? Um I, I was always hesitant on this. It's, you know, they're like, it's family weight. I'm like, it's $50. I don't like these companies coming out and calling 50, $60 games, family games. I find kind of silly because I don't, I don't know what non gamer family is going to pick up a game that expensive. Um, yeah. Like, That's it's a good crazy. Point. And at the same time, like, my 10 year old can play seven wonders. Fine. I'm pretty sure my seven year old could figure it out. 
I like, where's the gap? How wide is the gap between seven wonders and architects that you need this? Yeah. I don't know how many people could figure this out and be, have fun with it, but wouldn't be able to get to seven wonders level. Cause it's not a complicated game. That's, that's a pretty much a family weight game already. Yeah. Uh, so not, not that that's bad. I haven't tried it. So I can't say that for it. Yeah. That's just my thought process and why I haven't picked this game up despite sure. how cool it looks like the production looks amazing, but it's, it looks like it's, it's like solving a problem. It's looking for a problem to solve. is what my impression of this game is. I would like to try it at some point, but it's interesting to hear your perspective for that reason. As the big Seven Wonders fan, I know you are. <laughs> so. Yeah, look, the production definitely feels like it's at the point that if they, you know, like you said, it's a $50 game. The production fits $50. I'm, I'm happy with the cost of the game. And I bought this at retail. I mean, I bought it online, so there was there was a slight discount, but it wasn't a great discount because this was an Asmodee game. So it wasn't like a, a massive kind of 33% discount or something like that. But the the pieces for the boards, the cards, the all the tokens that come along with it, and the cases make it a $50 game where I could just drop the box on the table, hand out the different civilizations, say, start setting it up. Um, I'm going to set it up the middle, which will take another... 10 seconds and then we can play as you mentioned Anthony, like seven wonders is again anyone can play seven wonders even children can play seven wonders because again you're just picking a card either your strategy works or doesn't work the challenge for i think a lot of people who are not gamers is not the difficulty of like mathematics or whatever it might be it's can they feel comfortable with can they manage the complexity or the number of possible choices, you know, like, again, it's, it's just like, I have so many choices. I feel overwhelmed. I don't want to play this game. Like I, I play monopoly, a roll and write, I roll the, you know, roll and move. I roll the dice. I move my figure. That's it. I, I I'm kind of, it's, you know, it's destiny. There's nothing I can do about it. So this, as you said, Anthony, it goes from seven decisions that affect other future decisions to just three decisions and sometimes even less than three decisions, sometimes two decisions. So I don't find it fully satisfying and I do find it somewhat frustrating in in times where it's like, Oh, you got that good card. You got that card. I'm still waiting for this one resource to come out. I didn't get it. You did. You win, but it was 15 minutes. So I'm not mad about it. But yeah, at the yeah. same time, it's just like, I feel like a computer could play this easily and simply without me being involved with it. Like there, mm. there are like some decisions, like which science token you should take. Should you take the points? Should you try to take something that lets you take other cards? I think that's a dynamic decision to make. But otherwise, as you said, like the decisions are so limited that maybe it's just worth playing seven wonders, but you do have to struggle through that first hand of seven wonders. So check it out on board game arena. It's, you know, currently in beta. So if you don't have a paid subscription, you might have to wait a little bit, but uh, again, it's a good game. Check it out. Might be great. All right. Now that brings on to our feature review. Our feature review this week is Marvel zombie, a zombicide. The hunger takes hold after the Marvel universe has been told and turned into zombies. Get ready for a <laughs> zombicide campaign of epic proportions. 
Uh, this I campaign you can, can, can't even get through it. You're just I like, oh, ah, these words are crazy. <laughs> Look, you know, coming, you know, I, I've been doing this for a long time, and I've said a lot of incredibly stupid things, but I don't think I've ever said something as crazy and as stupid as Marvel Zombies is a zombie game. The hunger takes hold of the zombie <laughs> the Marvel universe. <laughs> get rid. Oh, I can't even do it. I can't. Well, look. Marvel Zombies, a zombicide game. Uh, this campaign is currently on Kickstarter and will be backed because it's already met its half a million dollar backing goal on Thursday, February 3rd, 2022. <sighs> what can you say, Anthony? We, we talked about this earlier in the episode. Sometimes there are things that are above and beyond. And if there's anything that's above and beyond, it is Simon and it's plastic miniatures from the very beginning, from their first Zombicide campaign to their most recent Marvel Zombies, a Zombicide game. And again, some of the craziness here is if you don't track or follow Kickstarter or don't know anything about Zombicide, there's been an, almost an endless number of Zombicide games, almost a horde of Zombicide yeah. game, no, no pun intended, but think about all of the miniatures, Anthony, and all of the campaigns. And then they're like, you know what? You'll buy another Zombicide game, not to mention another Marvel game, because clearly you have a million plastic chibi miniatures somewhere in your attic at this point. <laughs> so they did it. They did it. They did yeah. the thing that they weren't supposed to do. <laughs> I know. And it's, it's funny because Part of me wants to say, oh, Simon's jumped the shark. But they did that like three years ago. Like they've jumped over the shark. They went out to sea. They <laughs> turned around. They came back. They jumped back over the shark. They're like, hey, that shark is still there. I don't know. I don't know where it ends. Like no one's like calling them on it. I mean, I guess we are, but no one cares. They're still giving them the money. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is their 50th Kickstarter campaign. So wow. the big five zero, their first campaign was Zombicide. Their 50th is Zombicide. I think they've had 10, 11, something like that. Uh, sure. There's another one scheduled for later this year for Army of the Dead. So it's not stopping. They're going to be new Zombicide Kickstarter campaigns at least twice a year for the foreseeable future because people love it. Right. And, you know, sure. more power to them. I like the Zombicide 2.0 formula. I have all the fantasy stuff, Black Plague, Green Horde. Um, this is based on kind of all the updated version of that. And you throw Marvel on top of it. And of course people are all over it. Like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm even a little interested before I kind of got into the weeds on oh, it. Oh, sure. Uh, it's, it's cool, right? It's, it's, you get all the Marvel yeah. characters in like the Simon quality of miniature, like not the Marvel United quality, but like the full Simon sculpted miniatures. And that's interesting, but it's also just like so much stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is a company that recently released masters of the universe the board game which again was all plastic miniatures both the marvel united x-men game and obviously the marvel united one the recent you know wild west zombicide game and then obviously all the massive darkness kind of stuff so mm -hmm. a lot a lot of plastic not to mention the eric lang plastic games because those are a lot of plastic as well so yeah, this, this company knows plastic <laughs> and they're just like, <laughs> and they've clearly bet on the fact that you will back all of these things. And to be fair, you probably will. Cause you might do it too. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's why we're here talking to each other out of this. 
So the uh, the first Zombicide campaign, Anthony, I, I know that was one of the big ones that kind of you know broke board gaming into into kind of like Kickstarter territory. Uh, any any idea how much that campaign made? Oh, good question. That was a long time. That was almost ten years ago. Um, sure. I'm gonna guess not quite a million because I remember when the first campaign broke a million. So let's say eight hundred thousand dollars. Very close, seven hundred and eighty-one thousand dollars. Oh wow! So that was a lot of money way back in the day. I mean, we're yeah. we're not talking about like two thousand twenty-two money. This this was back in two thousand twelve. So a good a good ten years. Yeah, no, it's crazy to think of back then because I don't remember when the first board game Kickstarter was. It was probably something small that didn't do great, but. This was early, early on, right? Like, because mm-hmm. I remember back in my first Kickstarter in 2013, and it was still very much like, can I trust these people with my credit card? <laughs> I don't, what is this website, <laughs> you know? Um, and campaigns were not backing for crazy money back then. So yeah. this was like an anomaly. It was not the norm. Now it's the norm. It is. Board game Kickstarters go for millions of dollars all the time. But back yeah. then, almost hitting a million bucks with a bunch of plastic zombies was probably people like what is this <laughs> what are we doing yeah and and I, that one of their most recent campaigns in the marvel united x-men universe again do you have any idea how much that made that was a recent campaign anthony oh my gosh no uh let's say five million okay what if i told you um five million nine hundred eighty eight thousand dollars close to six million dollars for that yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot. It's all because <laughs> you if especially like we talked about that campaign. If you look through it, most the vast majority of people listening to this are not going to recognize 90% of the characters that they put in that yes. game. Like yes. it's this is not going to be the same. Marvel Zombies is going to be all people we recognize. And zombies, which is why and it's zombies. at three point two million already, like eight hours yeah. in. Um this will do more than six million. You think so? I, I would be surprised if it doesn't... I'm, I'm going to guess 8. I guess my, my okay. estimate is 8. I was about to say 10, but I think 10 is too high. I think, I'm going to go 8. I, I'm going to go I'm gonna go above 8. I, I think it's going to hit the high 9s. I think we're, we're looking at like 9.5 million. I think this is going to break the internet. I think this yeah. is one of the... Because again, zombies are huge. Again, zombies have a strangely unique place in board gaming. Again, maybe it's the fact that they make very good miniatures where... You don't have like vampires and werewolves and other kind of creatures actually having like this mass market appeal in the tabletop universe, but you do here. Like zombies are a huge thing. They're like again, we, we talked about it earlier, you know, Dead of Winter, which is a you know, huge zombie game. So I think you get the zombie people, you get the all the Marvel people, and you get something very special in this campaign. So Anthony, let's actually um, talk about this campaign itself. So why don't you give us a little bit of the mechanics and, and, and what, what does it mean to be a Zombicide game? Because I think that's something important for most of our listeners out there who may have never backed a Zombicide campaign. So they might right. want to know what that actually means. That it's a Zombicide game. It's not just Marvel Zombies. It's a Zombicide game. Right. <laughs> yeah, it is just like Marvel layered over the top of Zombicide mechanics. Uh, so from... Their own Kickstarter campaign, they have Zombicide Basics. It's three bullet points. So that tells you this is not a very complex game. 
it's cooperative. So players are going to work together to fight off a relentless enemy, meaning waves are going to come at you, zombie style, um, controlled by the game itself. So there's like a an AI system, which is very simple, generally, that is going to send waves of enemies at you. Uh, zombie side plays, I believe, up to six. So you can have six different characters out. Often, if you have less than six, people will play with more than one character to get to six. You kind of need the six to keep the game balanced. The more enemies you eliminate, you're going to unlock more skills. You get more powerful. More enemies come out. So everything just continues to escalate throughout each scenario. And that's one of the things that kind of defines zombie side is just escalation. It keeps going up and up and up and up. Um, and then there's some kind of objective in each scenario that you're trying to accomplish. So something on the map you need to get to or move to another location or someone you need to save. And it varies like because each of these games has all these different objectives that you could have. And that's basically it. You know, the 2.0 version of Zombicide, which launched a couple years ago, uh, updated that formula, revised it, streamlined the game a little bit, made it faster. They have like plastic dashboards they've implemented now to really make it easy to kind of get everything in front of you and make it see everything that you need to have. Um, but at the end of the day, it's zombies coming at you, kill all those zombies, get more powerful, kill more zombies, <laughs> and then get yourself out of there. Um, the difference in this one is you are the zombies, right? That's so that's like their big hook other than the Marvel stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, there's been an evolution to it. And once it was kind of a silly, dumb, nothing of a game. And now it's actually worked itself into like a pretty solid game that is beloved, not just for its wacky cast of NPCs and characters that you can play, but actually a decent kind of Amerithrash kind of game. So the Undead Pledge here, Anthony, this is the kind of the base pledge that everyone's going to be looking at. You get to play as the zombie heroes. So you got Captain America, the Hulk, Iron Man, and, and other characters that are zombies that are your playable characters here. You're trying to feed off bystanders to reach your objectives. Uh, they fight back, obviously, along with superheroes <laughs> and shield agents. And as you devour other people throughout the game, you gain uh, special abilities and powers. So you get to play the bad guys, man. So that's going to be a thing. And that's why I think this is going to pop more than anything else, because you usually get to play the good guys, which is awesome. But you get to play the bad guys here. Uh, but that's not all, Anthony. Uh, there is a resistance pledge. Let everyone know about the resistance pledge, because that's a little more streamlined here. Yeah, resistance pledge is more kind of in line with the typical zombie side experience uh, where you're playing a survivor or in this case, a hero that hasn't been turned yet. You're trying to rescue people, fight off the zombies, get more powerful, do cool stuff. So you're not dead basically. And then they, they kind of throw in the <laughs> X-Men resistance. So the base yes. game, it, it really focuses on your core Marvel heroes mm -hmm. um, kind of as we know it now in the MCU world. So Spider-Man, Dr. Strange, all those guys, um, X-Men is always separate. And all these Kickstarters, everything, they always separate the X-Men out. They're like, oh, those I know. they don't they don't play together. They're different. You need to buy them separately, which kind of annoys me a little because I just want my Wolverine. Like, just give me yeah, the Wolverine. Yeah. <laughs> but you gotta buy the whole separate box for that. Um, so that comes in this. It's, and you get to play hero mode, which it's funny. I mean, they leave the zombie mode, which makes sense because that's what I'd want to do. Um, but the basic version where you're playing as the alive heroes you're only going to get that at this $240 level. You can't buy that stuff separately. Yeah, and I think also here, too, as you mentioned, Anthony, the uh, the mutant bias 
is that you have to buy the separate game in order to play the other mode, which is what ties you to buying everything. Simon's very yeah. smart about this. It's not like here's a separate product and here's a separate product. It's like you want to play the full experience, you got to buy both products here. And again, it's as you mentioned, Anthony, it's the basic kind of X Men heroes. It's not the oddities that you are the throwaway characters that most people won't know, with the exception of me. I know all of them, but yeah, you got <laughs> your. You got Wolverine, you got Rogue, you got Iceman, you got Cyclops, you got Storm, you got Juggernaut here. So there's a lot of the good characters here that you probably want to play with. And again, it's it's an opportunity to play with them that you've never played before in a relatively good system. Now, that being said, Anthony, the reason, the honestly, let's all let's all be honest here. The reason for this campaign and the reason <laughs> that this is on Kickstarter is because they have a miniature that is not so miniature. Anthony, <laughs> tell the folks out there what this non-miniature miniature is. Yeah, this is more like a small purple child that you're paying for. Uh, <laughs> it's not a miniature. No, it's like the size of my dog. Um, the Galactus Pledge. You're getting Galactus, and it's I don't I don't know if it's to scale, but it certainly looks to scale. This thing is enormous. It's remember the Cthulhu, the giant baby Cthulhu, that's like. I don't know, it was like three feet tall or whatever it ended up being. It's that, but Galactus mm-hmm. in purple. So <laughs> uh, it's playable, of course. I mean, of course. Why would you pay $170 if it wasn't playable? Uh, it's got interchangeable heads. You can get zombie Galactus or non-zombie Galactus. And then interchangeable hands so he can hold a miniature or not hold a miniature. And then it also comes with Silver Surfer because if you have Galactus, you have to have Silver Surfer. And for $170, they better give you Silver Surfer. I I just, again, over the shark, back over the shark. Now they're looking at the shark and they're saying, I bet we could do it again. Let's jump that shark. I don't know. Um, And they've already done this before, too. So they know they can do it. Uh, It's really expensive, though. And if I had a place for a giant Galactus and I really wanted one, I'd probably go in on it. And so I'm not mocking anybody who's buying this. Definitely buy what you love, but who boy, it's crazy. It is. And again, that $400 all in pledge, which as, as you mentioned earlier, Anthony, that's not all in, right? No. We, we, we know what Simon does. Simon's like, Hey, cool. All in. You click the button. You, yeah, you had a mortgage, your house, but you're done now. You, you can sleep. <laughs> you can go to bed. It's fine. The rest is just going to be stretch goals. You're cool with that. Right. You're like, yeah, kind of okay with that the next thing you know there's like 35 more stretch goals and extra expansions and things and the guardians of the galaxy comes out of nowhere you're yep. just like but no so yes there there's going to be a lot more content to come for this and again the artwork is fantastic the the tiles are are great here the miniatures are amazing i can't imagine what they look like when they finally get painted by professionals Sima knows how to throw together a rule book and again being able to play both sides of the game as either the zombie or the hero's great. And they've really done a really good job. I mean, nothing is kind of thrown out of here. Like there's a lot of thought in this campaign. Uh, multiple man is the walkers, <laughs> right? So yeah. if you know, like, you know, he can make himself into multiple people. There's reavers, there's hellfire soldiers. So again, if you know the, the more, you know, about the Marvel universe, the more you will enjoy this game because there's a lot of little Easter eggs throughout. 
And again, that's a lot of fun. And, and especially we should mention they, they've gotten so much better with their miniatures. Like there was a time where you were like, how do I fix this miniature? Or this is just a board game miniatures there. Therefore it's junk. These miniatures look again, we don't know what the final form will be, but like the Iceman miniature is like made yeah. to look like ice. I mean, that's a, it's got like a skull on it. Even the juggernaut miniature, the Cyclops one, like the, these are all undead versions dark phoenix like they went all out with the artistic design here and again this is another lifestyle game that if if this is your thing then you're set like you just buy this thing and you're just like we're playing this and then again even the galactus miniature i'm not necessarily i'm not even sure about the game but like i would like to own the galactus miniature because even though i'm not the biggest galactus fan there's just something outstanding about this and it's just like, yeah, why why not? It's whew, it's crazy. It really is. And again, everything about this campaign screams for you to back it. But at the same time, it's one of those situations where it is a very, very expensive campaign. You could obviously just get the Galactus for 180 bucks, but still that's kind of crazy. But Anthony, there's something else we should mention, and, and that's probably going to be the shipping, right? Not to Oof. mention everything else that goes along here, the taxes and everything else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the title of this sequence is, you know, talk us out of backing. We, we're trying yes, to do our best please, to keep each please. other from backing this. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's easy. You go down that rabbit hole and, you know, we're on day one. So they only have one day of stretch goals. And the initial stretch goals are already very cool, right? You've got Beast, Luke Cage. Um, you've got the zombie Wolverine, zombie Rogue, like all these things that they're releasing, there's going to be so many over 16 days. It's, it's going to be hard to stop ourselves from backing this, but hear me out shipping. If you get Galactus and this is in the continental U S this is not even like globally where it's much worse. If you get Galactus $88, if you wait to get everything in one wave or 107 for two wave shipping, shipping, crazy, not even you're not getting a game for $88. That's just the shipping. Yeah. Now I know that's that's not SEMA and they're not setting shipping rates. That's just what shipping costs right now, but keep that in mind. <laughs> like I certainly am keeping that in mind. The other hard thing here is there's so many great campaigns, and CMON does a lot of them. So I just backed Marvel United and I backed Marvel United X-Men. So again, it's more of the IP that I love, and that's hard to turn down, but at the same time. I have the miniatures here. I mean, they're chibi miniatures and the other ones are more like adult kind of like horror kind of stuff miniatures, but it's hard not to want to collect them all. I mean, you know, it's just, they've done a really good job providing all the different possibilities here. And if X-Men United, if their campaigns are, you know, anything to kind of model against, we're going to see endless numbers of characters. So yeah. I'm thinking nine point five. I think I think this is I think this is the campaign that breaks it. I think this is what does it. I, I can't I can't think of anything else in the board game universe that would make as much money as a miniature game from Simon, Zombicide, which again, zombies are very big in our industry, and Marvel. I don't I don't know I don't know where you get two IPs or an IP and a kind of a genre of a of a creature. I, I don't know. Can you, can you think of anything bigger? You think, what do you think? At an IP level? No. Yeah. yeah, no, that's really hard. Like maybe if it was like a more traditional, like the zombie thing, I think might turn off some people. Sure. Uh, 
who are just done with zombies or just not interested in this particular version of the Marvel universe. But there are just, there aren't any bigger IPs right now. Like if you got yes. a star Wars thing on here, maybe, but we're kind of oversaturated on star Wars stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I think you're right. I think it's going to do a ton of money. It, it's always hard to tell because you get a lot of people early, especially in CMON campaigns. And then it kind of trickles yeah. the rest of the way, but they're going to have add-ons. It's going to double the cost of this probably. And then all those people yes. who are all in right now, they're like, well, I'm in for 400. 500 i guess with shipping might as well pay an extra three <laughs> so i don't know yeah it's hard and again i mean z- zombies has never been my thing you know as, as kind of like that whole genre of games and stuff like that but it's brought in all the money over the years you know whether it's right. all of the different minute simon games that have been out there like the, we talked about the zombicide but zombicide alone is not the other one dead of the winter is probably the best zombicide or best zombie game of all time so yeah um it's gonna be interesting to see i i do think this hits over nine million dollars i think it does do that i think i think again i think the galactus thing is is out there but i think there's even something more coming so we'll see um anthony at this moment like you mentioned there's still 15 days to go so we'll have two more episodes before this kind of wraps up are you backing Marvel Zombies as a zombicide game? Has the hunger, Anthony, taken hold of you? <laughs> the hunger? Uh, no, not right now. Um, I'm keeping an eye on it. This is a thing where like, I cannot go all in. I, I, there's no way I'm getting that Galactus. If nowhere else, if nothing else, I have nowhere to put it. Like I just look, and I'm not, look, you, I'm not, you have two children. Yeah. You, you, you uh, call this one, you're a purple child. So maybe, maybe it's true. time to adopt, true. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just put it in with the dog. Like here, you sleep with this now. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So definitely not on that. And then I would like the hero mode if I'm going to pay for it, but then like it, then you're already on the second pledge level. So I don't know. I have to see what they throw in here in terms of, stretch goals and heroes and like what all makes it into the box. Uh, And that's the thing with any CMON campaign. You kind of just have to wait and see like if you're on the fence at all. And I'll probably still go with no on this because I do have a lot of CMON plastic, but I don't know. They're nice looking minis and it it is a cool, cool idea. So I'm looking here at the campaign. I don't see it. I'm sure it's somewhere here or will be somewhere here. My assumption is you could, you can mix and match, right? Like there's no, why could you not play with your other characters from your other Zombicide games? Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I mean, if nothing else, they might, you know, they'll probably have like a crossover kit. That's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Right. Cause like you said, there's a lot of interesting characters from the other Zombicide games that maybe you'd want to throw over here. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, that's one of the things that always catches me. It's like, Hey, do you like this game? You're like, nah. you're like, would you like to be able to play it with one of the games you do like? Like, oh no, <laughs> that got me. <laughs> I know you talk about metaverse stuff. So yeah. yeah, yeah. If somehow they cross this over with uh, X Men United, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, with the little chi- little chibi miniatures running over, then I might have to back this. Right now, I'm gonna hold off. But if that does cross over. If you see that happen on Kickstarter, yeah, there's going to be some problems, my friend. There's going to be some problems. Yeah. I don't know how they'll do it, but they could because all it would take was a crossover pack, right? Like you said. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just a, a pack of cards. They've done it before. Yeah. You have like giant Hulk zombified, and then you have like cute little <laughs> adorable 
you know, cutesy, like, you know, pinches cheeks Wolverine for some reason, you know, stupider things have happened. So why not? Yeah. All right. I mean, I'm looking so, at it. So <laughs> I know it's true. It's true. All right. So for right now, Anthony and I are a pass, but there's two more weeks for CMON to get us on board, especially with all those Kickstarter backing goals and the crazy crossovers and things. I think 9.5. What are you thinking, Anthony? Uh, I'm going to stick in the eight range. I think, okay. I think you get a lot of early, early backers on CMON and uh, they might push people, some people away if those numbers start creeping up around the seven, $800 range. Sure. All right. So if this campaign's for you, it's currently on Kickstarter and you have about two more weeks to pick this up and adopt a purple child to your family. (laughs) All right, everyone. So that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care. Bye. Great.